The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. You know, looking back over your nearly 15 years, um, anything from, you know, you would have done differently? Sure. I do a lot of things differently. Number one, I always joke around with all my friends. I said, I said, if there's an owner coming in at the age I came in, I'm voting no. Because you don't know what you're doing for a while, and this is a difficult uh, thing to understand unless you're here. But it does take some time to really understand the, the, the football side. He never did figure out the football side. And if he learned anything, he certainly never put it into practice. That was Dan Snyder from an interview roughly eight to nine years ago with Forbes. It was an, it was an interview primarily about marketing and branding, uh, but there were a few questions asked about the football team, and you heard him say, you know, he would never vote in somebody that was as young as he was when he got the team. Um, it's interesting because during those years, like the first 10 to 12 years, in this case, 15 years of his ownership, that probably was one of the last real formal interviews that he did because eight years ago would have been 2015. I think the last interview I remember really was with Cooley in 2016. Um, 2015, 2016, somewhere in that time frame, uh, Cooley was still doing the radio show with Zabe and with Galdi in the afternoons before, uh, he and I teamed up in the mornings. But, um, you know, Dan, during those years when he did communicate, had one self-deprecating move. And it was to emphasize how, you know, he knows that he was too young and didn't have all the answers. As if to say that the only time that he struggled was when he was a young owner and that he learned so much from that time. I do remember in kind of watching this thing um, that I just played for you, um, that period uh, of time when he, you know, it, it was an effort to kind of say, hey, look, I, I was young, you know, um, I didn't know anything and I, you know, and I screwed up. Um, but the problem was, is that at 56, 57, 58 years old, he was still screwing up. Um, he never learned how to be a good owner, um, even after 24 years. Uh, anyway, um, thought it was interesting. I've actually found, uh, several interviews from him with him, excuse me, from, those days, uh, including a piece on ESPN with with Rachel Nichols. It was an E60 piece, and 
I was thinking as I was watching that one, I wonder what Snyder is going to do. I doubt he is going to, you know, all of a sudden become a guy that does a lot of media. He became very uncomfortable doing media. In fact, in that E60 piece with Rachel Nichols, he admitted being uncomfortable doing media. And it got worse. You know, it became, I think, um, a source of, of real anxiety for him. You know, we saw that with the Happy Thanksgiving introduction of Ron Rivera, and he avoided it like the plague, and he became very reclusive, really, over the last seven, eight years of his ownership. And look, part of that is because he was under attack, too. So I understand that piece of it. Um, you know, people wanted their piece of, of flesh in, you know, an interview with him, to, 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 and he understood that. You know, he understood that, you know, certainly, certainly recently that he wasn't necessarily thought of as a good owner. Um, but I wonder if he'll write a book. Like, you know, people would read the book. People would read his memoirs, if you will. Um, I don't know if he'll do that. I do think there will be eventually a 30 for 30 or some sort of HBO sports documentary sort of, you know, you know, looking back on one of the worst ownership reigns in the history of American sports. Like I said in Saturday's uh, on Saturday's podcast, and if you didn't listen to it, it's still available there. And I talk a lot about you know what we learned on Friday with respect to the sale being final, and had a lot of thoughts about the 24 years of Dan and what's coming next, et cetera, et cetera. Many of you really enjoyed it, and I appreciated um, what you said about the show on Saturday. Um, it is there if you want to go back and, and listen to it. Um, but uh, you know, this was something that was completely unruinable and yet he found a way to do it and there's so much you know uh drama and you know tragedy real tragedy and then figurative uh tragedy uh as well during the course of his ownership certainly we would all watch it um if if there were you know if there was like a 1 hour documentary on his ownership uh that would not surprise me at all it would surprise me if he were a part of it uh that would surprise me one guest on the show today and it's a good one howard gutman will be on with me today howard is close to the harris group close to mitchell rails specifically so we will ask uh, Howard a lot of questions, uh, and Howard will do a lot of talking about what he knows and how everything came together and why it got finalized on Friday and what's next with league approval because we still need the league and the finance committee, finance committee first and then the, the owners second uh, to finalize this. And then, you know, a little bit more from Howard like last time on what he thinks this new ownership group will do. Um, I also think Howard will have uh, an interesting take on um, Snyder and, you know, what Snyder was able to work out with the league. Uh, you know, it's, it's, we talked a little bit about this on Saturday. Snyder, once he signed that deal on Friday, any kind of leverage he had to take a pound of flesh with him on his way out to get the things that he wanted. You know, uh, many of you mentioned that I didn't talk a lot about the Don Van Natta story, which came out before, 
uh, the news broke from Snyder and from Harris and um, everybody that was associated with it about the uh, purchase agreement being signed. Don Van Natta had reported that, you know, Dan was still trying to work out a deal where the Mary Jo White investigation conclusion uh, was limited um, or maybe not uh, put out at all. Well, if the agreement was signed, and I think you'll hear Howard speak to this a little bit, um, it goes, it probably is logical to believe that the Dan League stuff, because there was some Dan League stuff over the last couple of weeks, may have been worked out. Howard will have some thoughts on that coming up in the next uh, segment. Uh, by the way, on the Van Natta story, yes, I'm interested to see what the Mary Jo White investigation produces. My guess is, and I've said this for a year and a half now, I don't think it's going to produce a whole hell of a lot. I don't. The Tiffany Johnston thing, I don't know how you prove that. The Jason Friedman stuff, it always felt to me like, you know, Washington more likely than not wasn't the only team partaking in a lot of that. Um, You know, if there's something there uh, beyond that, you know, if there's more of a reveal on the $1.6 million settlement woman from the plane ride back from Vegas after the Country Music Awards back in 2009, Maybe that maybe that's something that he you know doesn't want out. I don't know. I just would be I would be surprised if ultimately the Mary Jo White investigation was like the thing that would have buried him anyway. Like if he hadn't decided to sell, that would have been the final. You know that would have been the the thing that got the vote got the vote from the owners to get him out. I don't think that was ever going to happen. I think the way it happened with him voluntarily selling with a lot of pressure with a, with the understanding that he was no longer wanted but ultimately that was the way it had to happen. Uh the show today presented by my good friends at my bookie go to mybookie.ag or mybookie.com use my promo code Kevin DC and guess what all of the week 1 point spreads for the NFL are up. Uh, Kansas City's a seven-point favorite in the season opener against Detroit. Washington is a six-point favorite over the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday, September 10th at 1 p.m. And I've already got my eyes on a couple of games for the smell test. It's early. We're five months away. Four months away, actually. What am I talking about? Four months away. Just a third of the year before we will. I mean, it's May 15th. I mean, in two months, we'll be nearing the beginning of training camp. Three months, dead in the middle of preseason. And in four months, we will have already had week one. Um, But I was, as I was looking through the lines over the weekend, I thought that one game really, really stuck out to me. Cleveland getting two and a half at home against Cincinnati. That's it. I think the Browns are going to be one of those teams that will be an interesting team. They've got decent talent, and it's Deshaun Watson at quarterback. And he looked horrible in those final six games of last year, with the exception of the game against Washington, where he played really well for three straight drives, and that's all they needed in producing 21 consecutive points on three drives. Um, But Cincinnati, I think the, the public will think, two and a half, less than a field goal? I mean, give me right now Cleveland plus the two and a half, buying the half point to plus three on the week one smell test. That's not official. 
But I bet you I have them when we get to week one, unless there are injuries in preseason, et cetera. And actually, I kind of like Arizona plus the six against Washington. I think people think Arizona is going to be the worst team in the league, um, either them or Houston, uh, more likely than not. Um, by the way, the um, the division and the conference odds are up on my bookie. The conference odds for the NFC Championship – Arizona is by far and away the long shot to win the NFC championship at plus 7,500, 75 to 1. I mean, they are considered to be going in the worst team in the NFC. Washington gets them in the opener. I think that's why I will probably like Arizona. Um, Next uh, worst, believe it or not, Tampa Bay with no Brady. They're the next to last pick at my bookie to win the NFC Championship at 39 to 1, but they're 39 to 1. The Cardinals are 75 to 1. Then it's the Rams at 30 to 1. Think about that. Two years ago, your NF, no, two years ago, was it the NFC Championship game? No, they played in the playoffs. The Rams beat the Buccaneers in the divisional round and then beat the 49ers in the NFC Championship game. But, you know, um, two of the last three NFC Championship teams are now, and this goes to show you what the NFL is about, it is things change a lot year to year, especially when you don't have a quarterback or there's the perception that you don't have a quarterback because with the Rams, who knows? But the Rams are at 30-1. to The Rams, Buccaneers, and Cardinals are the three longest shots in the NFC. And the fourth longest shot is Washington at 28-1, to plus 2,800. Washington is dead last in terms of the selection to win uh, the NFC East. Uh, Well behind um, Philadelphia, then Dallas, and the Giants. Uh, Go to mybookie.com, mybookie.ag. They'll also let you wager your deposit amount around one time and then be eligible to cash out right away. mybookie.com, mybookie.ag. So, um, a few quick things before we get to Howard Gutman. Number one is this. Minicamp was held over the weekend. Um, What was learned from Minicamp? I had Ben on the radio show this morning, Ben Standig. He said that Emmanuel Forbes was, was lined up in the slot the entire weekend. He never played the slot at Mississippi State. That could have been a rookie Minicamp thing. I don't expect that he'll play anywhere but the outside. I don't. But Ron Rivera held a press conference after the first day of minicamp on Friday. Um, and uh, he said uh, a few things. And there were two things that really stuck out to me. Number one was he was asked about the draft and what they were looking for in a running back. This is what he said. Well, I, I would I would say we were, we were looking for a back that fit what we wanted to do and the way we wanted to do it. I, I know Eric really liked Christopher, so that was that was one of the pluses for when he was available when we were picking. Um, secondly, I, I I still liked what we saw as far as the growth was concerned with Antonio. You know, I'd like to see Antonio get a few more tries, obviously last year, but you know Antonio has shown tremendous growth, and we're pretty excited about who he could be. You know, this is a guy that played wide receiver at one time coming out and one thing that he did have was every nine touches resulted in a touchdown so we're, we're looking for some production from him as well and we're looking to see that he does fit in into the scheme of things as far as what Eric Bianami wants to do with the offense 
So Ron's answer to this question was interesting to me uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one is the fact that he went right to Antonio Gibson. I'm a fan of Antonio Gibson. I think most of you know that by now. I think Antonio Gibson is a lot more than just a guy to get the ball to in space. Air quotes, space. Uh, I think he's a thumper between the tackles. I think we saw that during that four-game winning streak in 2021. Uh, He had a fumbling problem in 2021. He did not have a fumbling problem last year. He is a big dude who also runs 4-3. I have said for, you know, the last year and a half, I think Gibson's a top five talent on this team. And I really came to to enjoy Robinson Jr. too. Uh, He was great last year. And he really is a physical downhill back. And I love when they are in that mode. Um, I love him, and I love Gibson in that role too. And if they're going to be on the field at the same time or if Gibson's going to fill that role that J.D. McKissick had, that's fine. But I didn't think that they needed a running back in this draft. Um, I think Gibson's the guy, but Gibson's contract does run out after this year. He's an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year, and it doesn't seem as if there's been any rush to re-sign him. And that's the second part of this that um, I thought was interesting. I mean, after Ron said, you know, I'd like to see Antonio get a few more tries. Um, Antonio's shown tremendous growth. We're really excited about who he could be. Um, And then he talks about this is a guy who played wide receiver at one time coming out. And, you know, he, he scored a touchdown every nine touches and, you know, so we're looking for some production for him uh, as well. This was after, you know, he mentioned that Eric Bieniemy liked Chris Rodriguez. Um, but what he said at the very end after, you know, kind of building Antonio Gibson up was we're looking to see that he does fit into the scheme of things as far as what Eric Bieniemy wants to do with the offense. Close quote. Eric Bieniemy is going to make the decision on all of these people on offense. I am convinced of it. I was told that when he was hired, that he's going to have a ton of autonomy. You know, picking the quarterbacks, making the decision on the quarterback, picking the personnel. I know that they didn't draft anybody early for him, but he was involved in a lot of these draft choices. I mean, Ron said it. I know Eric really liked Chris Rodriguez, so that was one of the pluses for us when he was available when we were picking. And Antonio Gibson is going to have to impress Eric Bieniemy. He's going to have to be a guy that impresses Eric Bieniemy. I think he will. I think Antonio Gibson will impress Eric Bieniemy. And if he doesn't, I don't know. I mean, Bieniemy loves those backs, you know, in space. You know, he, I mean, obviously Eric Bieniemy would love to have a player like Travis Kelsey or a player like he had in Tariq Hill. Okay, but in terms of the backs, just how about the rookie last year, Isaiah Pacheco? How about the way he's used McKinnon? Uh, you know, Edwards Alaire. You know, uh, there there just have been backs um, that Gibson's got a little bit of everything that some of these guys have. I think Gibson can be a big, big impact player for this team. And I think Brian Robinson Jr. can as well. But there's no doubt what Ron told you right there, I think, is that it's going to be Eric's call on whether or not, you know, we we see a guy in, in 
and Antonio Gibson that he said, quote, you know, um, we're pretty excited about who he could be. I mean, they know who he can be. Um, The other uh, thing that he said uh, was about an area of the team that I think they don't have answers or we don't know what those answers were, but I think he gave us a clue as to what they're hoping the answer will be. He was asked about the kick and punt return game, and he said this. Well, there are a couple guys out there, but one of the more notable names, and I'm going to have to look it up and so I can say it properly, but he's a young man we got out of UCL, uh, UCLA. Uh, he'll wear number 10 out there, Alan Kazmir. He played some slot for them, some wide receiver for them. Um, some uh, some uh, running back for them, and then he returned both kickoffs and punts for them, and he did them in the bowl game, in the uh, in the All Star games as well. So he's a young man that most certainly has gotten our attention, and he's a young guy young guy that we went out and and, and tried to make sure we were able to recruit and bring him in as a uh, as a signed uh, free agent. Casimir Allen, I don't usually do this with undrafted free agents, um, but I'm telling you right now, and listening to Ron um, talk about him. Uh, Casimir Allen was number 19 for UCLA. If you're a college football fan and you watched, you know, UCLA games with Dorian Thompson Robinson, they were a good team this year. Um, had some, you know, high profile late night games in particular. And number 19, Casimir Allen, first of all, offensively lined up at running back, lined up in the slot, lined up at receiver. Um, as a kick returner, uh, just fun to watch. This is a guy with incredible feel and vision as a runner. Like he feels where the opening is, um, and he's able to cut it back and hit it quickly. Um, I don't know what his 40 time was because I don't think he ran the 40 uh, at the combine. He measured in at 5'8", 176 pounds. Um, in high school, by the way, he scored 72 total touchdowns um, his senior year. That's a California State high school record. And he also won the state title in the 100-meter dash, running 10-4-4. Um, but this guy, they don't have one. They don't have a kickoff returner. They don't have a punt returner. You know, Jahan Dotson actually would be an outstanding punt returner. Um, But they used Gibson as a kick returner. By the way, I like Gibson as a kickoff returner. Um, And they used um, 15, uh, Dax Milne, as a punt returner. Um, This guy's going to have a chance. By the way, he could be a contributor on offense, too. I mean, he's one of these guys that catches everything. And then, you know, he's a Curtis Samuel type. It's exactly who he plays like is Curtis Samuel. He can line up almost anywhere offensively, um, and he's just got really good feel in space and vision. Um, so that was Ron Rivera on a guy that I think is going to have a have a chance. You know, he'll get all those opportunities in preseason, assuming health. Um, he'll get some opportunities offensively too. Um, but don't be surprised if we're talking about Casimir Allen in training camp, and then in the few preseason games they have. All right, uh, real quickly before um, we get to Howard. Uh, It's too bad about the defenders losing the XFL championship game. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. I didn't watch um, the game. 
Uh, I It was Mother's Day, A, B, I was focused on the NBA when that was on the Game 7, which I'll get to in a moment. Um, I know they had a hell of a season, and I know they were favored um, and supposed to win uh, the championship game in San Antonio. They got beat 35-26 to by the Renegades um, in the championship final. Um, in terms of Game 7 yesterday in the NBA, that was one of the worst performances um, you'll ever see by a team and by the team's two best players or two star players in Joel Embiid and James Harden. Boston won the game 112 to 88. They outscored Philadelphia in the third quarter 33 to 10. Look. Jason Tatum was incredible. He was incredible in the game, 51 points. After starting 1-for-14 and putting his team in dangerous territory in Game 6. I mean, in Game 6, if Philadelphia gets the ball to Joel Embiid in the final four minutes of the game, they probably clinch the series and they're in the NBA's Eastern Conference Finals. But Embiid didn't touch the ball in the final four, four and a half minutes of game six because they're not very well coached. Um, and, you know, Doc Rivers, I don't know how he survives, you know, his fifth or sixth sixth straight, I think, seventh game loss um, in the postseason. I mean, he had the title in Boston years ago uh, but has been a major underperformer with really good talent um, in the postseason. Uh, look, I love Doc Rivers, the guy, and – the player and, you know, players coach, he's just never been one of my favorites. We've talked about this during the postseason. His team just had more talent than the 76ers. But, oh, my God, poor James Harden. I mean, Harden had 45 in game one, 42 in game three, um, or game four. I mean, he won two games in this series for Philadelphia. But it's amazing when he's in a situation where it's pressure, big-time pressure. Like game one, there was no Joel Embiid, and they weren't expected to win the game. They were 11-point underdogs, and Harden went off for 45. And look, the dude can flat-out make shots. He is a shot maker. He's my least favorite star player in the NBA, and and that's been true for a while. I just can't stand the way they play. Um, I don't like the way... Um, they basically stand four, three to four guys stand around and watch one guy. I don't. That's that's the part of basketball when people like Tommy say I can't watch it anymore. To me, it's not about the three point shooting. The three point shooting has made the game for me much better. It's created a completely different you know floor spacing wise, and um, it's changed the game in a lot of really good ways. I think it's made the game incredibly exciting and more wide open and faster and more free-flowing. you got to guard more area. Um, I can't stand the coaches that essentially just say, you know what, our best chance is to isolate our scores in the kind of pick-and-roll matchups we want um, and then let them dribble the life out of the ball and you know take a shot. Uh, James Harden yesterday was embarrassingly awful. He was clearly tight. He had nine points in a seventh and deciding game on three of 11 shooting. Of the eight shots that he missed, five of them either missed the rim entirely or barely grazed the backboard and or rim. 
He fumbled and bumbled the ball away on so many occasions I lost count, including when they were up in the first half and he lost control of the ball on a, on a drive and stuck his right forearm out as he was losing the ball and stuck it right into the face of Jalen Brown and they called a flagrant on Harden, it, Harden and it totally turned the game around in that moment. Oh, my God. How you could – how could – if you – Look, the Sixers and the process and all that, Josh Harris, Josh Harris' own team, the process, he took over in 2011. He's the one that you know hired Sam Hinkie and was fine with bottoming out and getting all those draft choices, and they did get Joel Embiid out of it. And look, he's an, he's an MVP, and they've won 50 games three times in the last five years. They have not been past the conference semifinals. Lots of mistakes. Look, if you're going to bottom out, to create more opportunities in the lottery, which is what they did many years ago. The process really started when Sam Hinkie left. Um, stopped. I mean, it started when he came. Stopped when he left. Um, you know, their their failures in the postseason here have been about coaching. Have been about James Harden. You know, who came in the trade for uh, Ben Simmons. Um, but you've got to, if you're going to do that, you got to hit big in the draft, and they failed consistently in the draft. I mean. They just didn't hit on enough of the players, and they kind of got lucky to get Embiid. Remember, Embiid was picked third overall in that draft because he had been injured. He would have been the clear-cut number one overall, but there were really concerns about his injuries. Uh, but they're they're just they're just poorly coached, and one of their two best players totally gags in big moments. I mean, it was uh, I almost felt awful for him because it was clear that the pressure of the moment was strangling him. Uh, Joel Embiid wasn't much better. He was 5 for 18. He had 15 points. I mean, the two of them combined, their two superstars combined for 24 points, 8 of 29 from the floor. And by the way, 9 turnovers combined for. Um, Boston's not well coached either um but they had Jason Tatum they had Jalen Brown you know they've got a guy like Robert Williams who's really um at times such an impact player on the floor for them Al Horford uh you know actually made some shots few shots anyway in the last couple of games Marcus Smart you know tough ass competitor high IQ um, they just got better players uh this was my least favorite series the ending yesterday was just stunning to see what happened. Um, and now Boston gets Miami, and then the West Finals are the Lakers and the Nuggets. Um, I hope it's – I'm rooting for Boston-Miami. Uh, by the way, I had the Sixers yesterday, plus the points. That's also why I was so angry watching it. Um, but uh, I, I'm rooting for Boston and Miami. Boston's just got so much more talent. I mean, Jimmy Butler – can carry Miami, and they've got other pieces. I mean, Kyle Lowry, the way he's playing as he's on the verge of turning 38 years old has been so um, impressive. Remember, Jimmy Butler at one point was on the 76ers. They didn't need him, I guess. Uh, But um, Boston's a big-time favorite. Uh, Denver's a slight favorite. I think we'll probably end up getting Denver and Boston, but I'm rooting for Denver and Miami. But these playoffs have been great. That seventh game yesterday was atrocious. Other than to say that Jason Tatum, two weeks after Curry set the record for 50 in a game seven, went for 51, and now he owns the record. And 
it's amazing from where he was with like six minutes to go in game six to where he walked off the floor yesterday. He scored, you know, 15 points down the stretch in game six to bail him out. I mean, the Sixers helped. And then yesterday he was on fire. 51 points. He had 13 rebounds. He had five assists. He was six of 10 from behind the arc, 17 of 28 from behind, uh, from, from the field overall. He was great. Uh, all right. That's there are other things. I'll wait to talk about RG3's reaction and the Nats disaster Saturday night with the uh, postponement of the game after a four hour delay. I'll get to those things and more with Tommy tomorrow. But up next, Howard Gutman, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, jumping on with us right now is our good friend Howard Gutman. Of course, Howard was the ambassador to Belgium during the Obama years. He was a longtime prominent and still is D.C. attorney. He's got a great radio show, all right, on the Odyssey app. Uh, That's where my radio show is uh, as well on the Odyssey app. You can listen to it in Richmond, WRVA Radio. Uh, It's called uh, As I See It, and it's more about his other passion, which isn't sports, but is politics. Um, And so you can listen to that. But Howard's on with us because Howard, you know, as we had him on the last time, I think it was the last time, um, Howard made a great case for what uh, an incredible person Mitchell Rails is, and by extension that means Josh Harris um, is a great uh, a, a guy and that this is going to be a phenomenal ownership group. But what we got, Howard, on Friday was the you know first time we have heard from the parties involved, Dan Snyder and the lead investor and the lead controlling owner, Josh Harris, announcing that they had a fully executed purchase agreement. And as I explained on the podcast, uh, that is different from what we had before to a certain extent. Um, and all that's left is for the NFL to approve it, the finance committee first, uh, and then three-fourths of the owners to vote yes. So I want to start there, and I want you to take everybody through 
what you've known um, for a while, um, being kind of close to the Harris group and the Harris bid, about how the last, you know, let's say month, going back to the month when the reporting was they had this non-exclusive, unsigned agreement to where we got to on Friday, and then what's next? So, Kevin, first, this is not going to be based on any information, uh, inside information as to where, but sort of experience, um, I think, being able to assess what's being reported and then uh, what it means. The, all the reports came out, but they seem to be more mystifying and misdirectional for most people that I talked to. And, um, and so maybe we could have a little clarity to a process that kind of operated uh, as it should have and as you'd expect, at least if you had good businessmen on both sides, which uh, actually occurred occurred in this case. So we had a long period where we were told that the Snyers were looking to sell, but before they announced whatever is a non-exclusive, non-signed agreement with a group. And in that period, um, we know that the, the Denver Broncos sold last year for $4.6 billion dollars. So the the commanders, um, given their recent performance, could have arguably been worth less. Even if they're worth somewhat more, maybe it's a $5 billion sale. Um, but we know that the press immediately jumped out and said, this will be a $7 billion sale, and this will be Jeff Bezos, and and it, it, certainly it will be a $6 billion sale um, without anybody looking at the numbers, and the numbers wouldn't have justified any of that. So we had the period of Dan trying to, the Snyders trying to find uh, a buyer at the highest number they could. I think originally they set out with hopes of $7 billion, believing the own press, which they may have created. Um, but it became clear, as we saw, there are very few people in these this day and age who can afford to buy clubs under the NFL rules. Um, it is not a, a, a large group um, who could afford to do it. Um, there are a few very wealthy families like bought the, the Broncos. Uh, it used to be a club got sold to the richest guy in town who used to be the used car dealer in town. <laughs> they would buy the club. Um, and that those days are gone. Um, so by the time you get Charlotte, you get, you know, New York private equity guys coming down at $2.2 billion um, for Carolina Panthers, um, for David Tepper. Uh, and now you're at double that or more. This is hard to do. So there is no real robust bidding. If Jeff Bezos said he wanted in, he could have had it. Uh, so Dan had to create uh, competition to get to a number. And the people bidding had to think about, is there someone who really was putting together those numbers? But also, could they meet a number that would cause Dan to sell? In some respects, Dan had all the cards, the size of all the cards, because everyone wanted him to sell. Um, but if he didn't get a premium, he wouldn't do so. The league wants him out. The fans want him out. Um, but that meant someone had to pay the money. So we had those kind of false reports all the time that a new group was here at $6 billion. Uh, Tillman Fertitta gave the truth. He said, look, I analyzed it. I was willing to go up to this high. It made sense in light of Denver. It wasn't worth more. I know the uh, Apostolopoulos family was looking very hard to put together in the, in the framework of uh, the NFL rules. And so finally, it became clear that there was the group that had been put together that is the pride of Montgomery County Public Schools. Uh, it's a, a fabulous tribute to public schools in Montgomery County. These were um, Josh Harris met uh, Mark Ein at Rollingwood Elementary School in Chevy Chase. Uh, Mitch Rails was at Whitman. 
Um, and this essential group of people who grew up with their dads taking them to Redskin games and having fond memories didn't have to go find a franchise they could buy somewhere. It's not David Tepper looking in the Carolinas when he's a New Yorker. Their home team franchises there, and enough of them could get together. They would put a bid that was what the team was worth, but then they had to convince to put it together a bid that would convince Dan to sell it. And it became fairly clear that they were the buyers and Dan was the sellers. But unlike every other team, it looked like to me. So we got the report that there was a sale, but it was non-signed and non-exclusive, um, but that the league had already taken a first look and had approved the buyer. So without any inside information, what that means to me is we know who the buyer is, we know who the seller is, it wasn't about that. It wasn't about the terms. Those had all gotten settled. But unlike any other league sale, there were other issues to be resolved before Dan Snyder was willing to say, I'm willing to sell and walk away. Right. Namely, he had, he had lots of issues and has lots of issues with him and the league and him and the fan base and him and the local authorities. And the minute... The Snyders signed a binding agreement. That's what it said, what I, how I read this. The minute the Snyder signed a binding agreement with a buyer, they lost their leverage to say the one thing that would protect them in all this, which is, okay, then we won't sell. Right. And so it seemed to me that the reason we've had this period of non-exclusive, non-signed, isn't for some mystery of trying to get other people in. That had the wrong past. But that things had to be wrapped up with other parties. This isn't inside information. This is the Washington Post reporting that the league and Dan was talking. And, and what Friday was about, for me, I believe, is not knowing that the, Snyder, that the Harris Rails group would, would get it. That was clear. It was that the rest of the problems have now been resolved. We haven't been told the terms. We haven't told how that's occurred. But... But there's no way that the Snyders would have done joined the Harris Rails team in now urging the league to move forward. They wouldn't have put out joint press releases unless everybody now was saying, time to, con to approve this league. Obviously, Harris and Rails want to approve so they can go forward on their ownership of the club. And the Snyders, once their problems are behind them, I don't know what the interest is on, say it's $6 billion, he gets $4 billion of cash. That's over a million dollars a day. Um, a million here, a million there. It starts adding up. So they need it to be approved. So Friday told us that everybody's aligned. They would like the lead to give the go-ahead now. And we are now in the position of a traditional sale, which is once the league has resolved its problems with the Snyders, the Snyders have resolved their issues with the buyers, then the league gets its turn to actually do the due diligence on the buyers. It shouldn't be difficult in this case, but the finance committee doesn't get to do it that often, maybe three times a decade. So they ought to at least go do it. And it wouldn't surprise anybody that some of the financing, if you have a group this smart, some of the financing won't be, I'll write a check from this bank and this bank, but some will be, I'll put a mortgage on this asset or that asset. And the league will go through the trouble of doing that. But now everybody's in the same boat, which is nobody wants to go to another season um, with the commanders in doubt uh, or the Snyders in the picture. And we now know the Snyders have found their out. We can now guess from the reporting. They found their out with the league, whatever terms that will be. 
the, the deals agreed. And so now we have the pretty straightforward uh, NFL approval process. You shouldn't, no one should prejudge it. They're going to do their work. They're supposed to do their work. There isn't anyone who thinks they shouldn't. Uh, it's just that when they do their due diligence, we have every reason to believe they will be fine with their due diligence because imagine what it would take at this point to say, not that you ought to re-erect, re-fix re- re- this mortgage, change it to a more stable asset or whatever, but no, we won't approve this group. We'd rather have Dan Snyder on kickoff in September. <laughs> that's not going to happen. Well, you know, that's really um, the saving grace to all of this, right, is that they're, the league wants it as badly as we do and as badly as Josh Harris does and maybe now as badly as Dan Snyder does. Because I did have somebody tell me last week, um, Daniel Kaplan from The Athletic, uh, and he told me on radio, I think it was, um, that the you know the finance committee had just come out of their meeting last week, where you know the reporting from the post in various places was you know they had more questions than answers. I mean they weren't killing it, but you know some people said some positive things, but that there was some structure and deal stuff that needed to be worked through. And Kaplan essentially said that this is the only team that the Josh Harris Group would be approved for with their current structure. Do you think that's true or not? I don't think it's true. I think when you get to $6 billion, look, I think this will be the least complicated sale other than Seattle in 2024. That's Jeff Bezos striking a check when Seattle's ready to be sold. But thereafter, the NFL will have had to change its rules to allow sovereign wealth to invest to a certain percent, to allow foreign investment to a certain extent, because we are out of... Montgomery County can only produce so many billionaire geniuses, <laughs> and we've run out of them. Yeah. I, no, and I think, and I've made that really clear, that the the restrictions on ownership, they've probably reached the point. Look, the bottom line is, and I talked a lot about this on Saturday's podcast, um, thank God for Josh Harris and his group, because this was not, you know, an overly demand. This was not a big demand for this particular, you know, uh, uh, this particular team. I mean, I think a lot of us a year, two years ago would say, oh, my God, if Snyder ever put it up for for sale, there would be there. They'd be beating down the doors to pay six to seven billion. But the the, the truth is, there just aren't that many people that can do it and they can do it, um, you know. I am curious as to what you know and or think about Jeff Bezos. Like, what happened there? Was it that he was never allowed to be in early on and ultimately that kind of dissuaded him and, and, and you know influenced his decision when maybe Snyder came back at the very end and said, hey, I'm, I'm open to your bid now? Or was it that he never wanted Washington to begin with, that Seattle's been the apple of his eye? I think it's a little of all. I think um, if if Washington looked easy and there was no Harris bidder and the league came in and starts getting courted by, you know, Robert Kraft and Jerry and um, and they said, you know, we're not sure about Seattle. There could have been a, a situation where he came in now. And I'm sure when uh, he he realized the headache that this one was and ultimately Seattle is going to be available. It can't be sold till 24, but it's available in 24. Um, he'd rather have that situation um, and and not get involved in this in this what's partially a morass unless it's your first love. 
the buyers, for the buyers now, it's their first love. Uh, for lots of outsiders, Washington's been, uh, you know, a morass. It's been unbelievable what's happening here. Um, but for us, it's always going to be our first love. And that's why we had a group put together by people whose fondest memory is going to RFK with their dads. Right, which, by the way, was, you know, when you said that and you pushed the Montgomery County public schools, you know everybody's saying, well, that was Dan, too. Um, So, you know, it didn't... here's the difference. Here's the difference. What, that Josh went to a private high school? No, 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 no. (laughs) The difference was, and I think if Dan were here today and had the pressure off him, he'd say... Dan had one success when up to the time he was 34, right. and thought that made him a and thought that made him a genius. Josh Harris, I Mitch know. Rails, Mark Iron—they've had many successes and lots of failures, yep. and so they know they're not geniuses. They know they're just pretty darn good at what they do, but they can learn from others. They're not going to tell you who's going to play left tackle. They're not going to tell you, um, you know, I really like, um, but but that's that is. That is owner-itis. We just saw with the Phoenix Suns, a brand-new owner comes in. He fires a successful coach. He gets rid of two promising players, trades the next four first-round draft choices unprotected because he thinks he knows how to build a winner. Dan Snyder, too, right there in Phoenix. That won't happen this time. You need some people who realize we're smart, but we're really smart at picking good people to do their jobs. Dan made that fundamental mistake. They didn't know the difference between being a fan. By the way, these people were excited. If you look at Mark Ein's tweet or you look at talk to some of the other people, they are genuinely excited because this means so much to them. But because it means so much to them, they will go about it the right way. So, you know, you said something that I've talked a little bit about, and that is, you know, Dan hanging on with the non-exclusivity, with the unsigned agreement to – try to get his pound of flesh on the way out is the way I've described it uh, with some leverage, which was, hey, really? You don't like it? Then I won't sell. Well, he can't do that anymore. Um, So you said the problems between Dan and the league have been solved. So the reporting here over the last couple of days, if, if you're right, is just behind. Like Don Van Natta, you know, that Snyder is still working through these issues with relate with respect to Mary Jo White, with respect to uh, it, specifically a couple of things maybe in her report uh, having to do with, um, you know, whether it's Jason Friedman, Tiffany Johnston, or the $1.6 million settlement with the woman on the plane coming back from Vegas at the Country Music Awards. But it sounds to me like you believe that this that Dan signing this agreement meant that he got what he wanted or he's satisfied enough with what he and the league have decided on on those issues? Again, no inside information, but they were taking so long to get it done where after the Post reported that the terms have been agreed, it's now between the league, that there was no reason to do it Friday as opposed to next Friday. What it sounded like, what it seems like to me, is not that he necessarily got his way, but that the issues have been resolved. Okay. Um, because, because we had Dan going from, I have no commitment to sell, to jointly announcing, league, it's up to you, we are done, time right. to go forward. Right. There was a change, not, not quantitatively, qualitatively, 
which meant Dan went from, I'm not losing my leverage to, hey, this is costing me a million bucks a day. Uh, that's what sounded to me happened on Friday. Um, tell me just about this last step. Finance committee approval, then it goes to the owners. Um, you know, it sounds to me like you don't think there will be much of an issue. The the first reports coming out, out, out of New York last week were that the finance committee had more questions than answers. But give us this, this final step that will make it actually final for sure, um, which is league approval. Where do you think we are on that? And, you know, is there any reason to be concerned? You don't want to prejudge the league because you want and respect the process, and they should do the process right. But there's so much misinformation flying, uh, you know, kind of on on this group. We know that they've already had Josh Harris through the Steelers. Right. Um, uh, Mitch Rails is not an unknown commodity to many of these owners. It's not like existing owners have never talked to these guys over the years. It's not like, you know, they've never met. Uh, each other. Um, uh, so some of these are known commodities. Then you heard, oh, well, it's the Colombian money. Alejandro Santo Domingo was born in New York City, right. went to Hotchkiss and Harvard. That makes me Polish. I mean, <laughs> I was born in the Bronx. I was born in the Bronx, went to Bronx Science in Colombia, and that would be like calling me a Polish. Um, he's born in, he's a New Yorker. His quadrant is in New York. Apollo, these are their business successes. This is not it, the Apostolopoulos family might be wonderful. They're Canadian into casinos, and people would have to start googling them. These are not people anyone has to Google, um, and they are not people who've had a lot to hide. These people have lived publicly under scrutiny for quite a while, and it's to our benefit. Um, uh, just look at sort of how the group came and who's in the group. Mark Ein was. You know, um, kindergarten friends at Rollingwood Elementary with with Josh Harris. He and Mitch have been uh, friends for years. But Mark is also clearly the best, the best owner, the best person uh, in the in the American Tennis League. He put that on his back and carried the whole league. Yep. Not only the most successful franchise, he's carried tennis in Washington on his back for years. Not for credit. You don't. You don't have. More. You get an article every five years in the Washington Post. He carries tennis on his back for love of tennis and love of Washington. He's a hell of a tennis Eric, player. Well, he's a good tennis player too. Um, Eric Schmidt. Um, I've met Eric Schmidt twice, and I was unbelievably impressed with the quality of the person twice. Um, the first time, uh, most of the DMV missed, but Mark Warner, now the senator from Virginia, one of my oldest friends, he actually ran for president. In 2005, 2006, in that sort of kick the tires on the presidency uh, when it was thought to be Hillary and end up being Barack Obama. Um, but Mark was sort of the, the alternative to Hillary. And for two years, uh, he and I traveled around in, in the way that uh, the unannounced candidates are doing now, looking towards the 2024 race, kind of kicking the tires. And we went out to Google and, and Eric Schmidt gave us, uh, met with us um for a few hours and gave us a tour of Google and it was 10.30 in the morning. And Mark and I are walking, Mark Warren and I are walking through and Eric's giving the tour and the place is empty. There's desks that are empty, the bean, the, the bean bags are empty, the whole place is empty. So I'm looking at Warner, Warner's looking at me and finally he says to Eric Schmidt, where is everyone? And Eric says, oh, you think I'm running a business? 
I'm running a graduate school. You've got to understand your employees to understand your success. And it hit me wildly. At, he said they could be here at all hours of the night. The, the goal, the, the, they're judged on their results. That was the first time Eric Schmidt. It was a different way of thinking for a Washington lawyer who made sure he got to the office at 8 and stayed right. till 7.30 every day. Yeah. Just a different way. Second time, I reached out to him. I, there was a trade mission when I was ambassador to Belgium. The crown prince of Belgium was doing the trade mission. There could be no two people more unlike than the crown prince of Belgium, who I'm sure has trouble using his phone, uh, and, and Eric Schmidt. I called to say whether he would meet with the crown prince of Belgium. He was as gracious as could be. Uh, we brought the trade mission out. He spent over an hour. The questions are the kind of questions you could ask you know, any, your kid who knows a computer better than you. But he was patient. He was he was a diplomat. I was super impressed with him. So you've got a uh, you know people who are experienced businessmen who've made it, who understand their their own weaknesses, um, and you've got a couple of rumors: Colombians, which means New York City and Hotchkiss and Harvard. Um, this is a very solid group, but you won't want to short circuit the process. And the other thing is, I think they they are a group that's not a forced marriage. We saw with the Snyders, we had a forced marriage in the past. Um, there won't, in a group of 18, there won't be, you know, everyone won't be happy all the time. But I think they know how to do decision making for the, the, the greatest good. Uh, and I suspect the, that that's what we'll, how they'll get there. And lastly, they'll know it's not about them, it's about us. Yeah, um, which was it would be a, a huge change, but you you still didn't like so vetting this group fine, um, and it sounds like that that won't be an issue. And obviously, vetting um, Josh Harris hasn't been an issue in the past. Um, but with respect to the structure of the deal, that's really where the reporting was last week on the finance committee that there was some concern. Um, maybe not about the number of limited partners because the the league allows up to 25 and there are 16, correct me if I'm wrong in this one, um, but the perhaps the amount of debt in the deal beyond the debt, the $1.1 million limit that you can, you know, you can put on the team, that there was discussion about Josh Harris having to perhaps take more debt on the Sixers and Crystal Palace and New Jersey, the, the Devils, uh, to, to, to get to this price point? So a few things there. We've heard the price point's a little bit uncertain. Remember, it's been reported, not by me, by others, that it was in the $5.8 billion range, right. but also in the $6.05 billion range. Some have called that an earnout. Well, how you count that will determine how you calculate the permissible debt. Is that is an earnout? Is it a $5.8 million billion deal um, that you have to look at the financing on and then not worry about where the $200 million comes out of an earnout, Or is it a $6 billion debt with $200 million being potentially lent by the Snyders on the earnout if they don't make the earnout? Um, so there are real issues. There are issues about if you're using – are you going to use your money or are you going to put a mortgage on assets you have? But if you put mortgage uh, money on assets you have, um, could things all crumble? So you look at the financials. If there's money going on the New Jersey Devils, um, there's you know money being borrowed against New Jersey Devils. You look at their financials. But I suspect neither the 76ers nor the Devils are going under. Um, so 
it's real work to be done. Would I call that a concern only only to this extent? Not a concern of will it be approved, but will there be requests that say, look, do us a favor, restructure this $150 million or restructure this $200 million. And among those 18, there is plenty of ways to right. restructure this money. And next, I believe there probably will be some consolidation over time. Either some of the, the smaller people will be that it's just too hard or they'll make a, you know, a quick return on their, on their money or, and some other people will come in. Uh, that's not unnatural. Um, uh, but I, I, I do think, uh, there's, there is not going to be massive delay. It's in no one's interest. What they said, oh, it's got to be at the next owners. I mean, it's got to be the 22nd to 24th. They can convene a Zoom call whenever um, League Security says we're done with the vetting. Um, and, you know, each one gives gives people recommendations and, and references for people to check out. Um, but, you know, if you've right. been up for an ambassadorship or a senior position, you've had that done as well. Well, the, the League wants to investigate that. It's well, My point is it's just easier in this case because so many of these people are public and known. Right. So you don't have much of a concern other than what you described, which kind of makes sense to me. And I think I talked about it um, Saturday or maybe on the radio this morning. I'm losing track. But that, look, maybe the finance committee comes back and says, we need you to handle this part of the you know purchase price a little bit differently. And, we need, and they'll have the wherewithal to get that done. You believe that, you know, for all intents and purposes – all the while respecting the league process, and I understand you when you say that, but that we are going to get to a point here over the next month or two where the league's finance committee passes it on to the owners and we get a resounding three-quarters yes vote. Correct. By the Correct. way, I think the vote total will be interesting to see, <laughs> aren't you? Will we, be, <laughs> will we get 31 out of 31? or Because we'll need 24 out of 31. Um, or, or, or will it be somewhere you know, in between that? Uh, who knows? Um, what, I'm hoping for the parting gifts when we get there. I, I'd like to see what they, what they bestow on us. There's lots of bennies that Washington's long overdue for that I hope the league starts considering. Yes, uh, including the participation in a new stadium at some point. But, by the way, I wanted to mention one other thing, too, and that is that, you know, I remember the process in 1999. I remember we got to a signed purchase agreement with Milstein, and then it fell through, and Snyder ended up taking over. Um, That's not what's going on here at all. Um, But I do think that, you know, and I said this, I've said this many times in the past, I do hope we get to a point as a fan base where all of these names are really insignificant to the daily conversation about the team. You know, Mort Zuckerman and Fred Drasner and all these other people that were involved and when they were bought out, these weren't big headlines. You know, the headlines were, you know, the football team and the football organization. And you didn't know who the team president was. You know, you didn't know it was Balducci. You didn't know it was the guy that followed him. Nobody knew these names. I want to get back to a normal organization where we know who the GM and the coach are and all the players and the assistant coaches. I, I, do you, so, you, you see that happening with this group, right? Kevin, when I wikipedia Mitch Rails on my phone, <laughs> they had a picture of Stephen Rails there. Yeah, right. They He's didn't even know what his 
picture was, Mitch Rails is not the kind who says, you know what, I, why I'm buying this? I want to get to a microphone. Believe me, remember, Mitch Rails is half of the reason everybody who any sports listener in Washington listens to listens to. Right. They founded WTM, the team, Mitch and Steve. They, nobody even kind of, they are viewed as reckless. They're not reckless. They're great people, good people, but they don't need any of the attention. Josh Harris, well, the first thing people says to have him, he's not that big for the microphone. Um, uh, it's not like, um, it, and it's not about any one of them. It's not going to be Alexander Haig saying, now I'm in charge. You know, uh, None of these people need that. They have had their success. Uh, they understand their success. They're not buying this for a platform. Um, that might have been different with some of the other people trying to get in the league just by bidding looking for a platform. None of these people look need a platform. They want to bring a successful experience uh, back to, to Washington. Um, at at, at Mitch Rails, you know, at, at Apollo, you never saw Josh Harris as being a face. Someone had to interact with investors, but they had right people to do it. Um, uh, you know, he's, he just doesn't have that kind of presence. The 76ers are about the 76ers. The Devils are about the Devils. Crystal Palace is about Crystal Paris. Palace. None of them are about uh, are about Josh. Josh, none of the Glenstone, if anything, is about uh, much more about Mitch's wife, Emily, because she's such a graceful presence and a, um, a fabulous figure in the art world. But Mitch is always in the background. They're not buying this because they want a microphone. They're not buying it because they want a platform. They're buying it because it's an opportunity uh, finally to, to write this franchise for this city. And that could be a, a great a, a great personal success for them that they help to bring this back. All right. I want to find out what you think will be the first things they will do once the league approves them and they take over the team. And we'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
This segment of the show brought to you by Window Nation. Window Nation's got a great deal going on right now. 0% interest if you finance your purchase for five years plus. Buy two, get two free on any style window. Call them at 866-90-NATION. Go online at windownation.com. Mention my name. You'll get a free estimate. Best deal, best time of the year. You'll save big on energy bills. Buy two, get two free. And if you're financing the purchase, you don't have to pay interest until the year 2028. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. We continue with Howard Gutman. So, you know, I've talked a lot about how, you know, this is right now for the significant majority of us, this is a story about Dan being gone, but soon enough it'll be about the new ownership group. And then we will sit back. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to give it time, um, clearly, and we will watch uh, what happens. And everybody's got their own priority list. What do you think is on their priority list? What will they try to accomplish first? I would expect their priority list would be to learn as a professional. Remember, they don't have this team now. They, At most, they were entitled, if depending on what the deal terms were, to do a slight amount of due diligence with maybe access to somebody. But we don't even know if they've gotten to speak to Ron Rivera for an hour, Jason Wright for an hour. They couldn't have been a, a lot. There would have been how much due diligence would they have been allowed to do. It's not their team. These people are smart enough, I would expect, to know that there are decisions that have to be made um, once they've fully gotten the facts. So what I would hope the fans would do is give them a hall pass. You're not going to take over in June, change your quarterback, change your name, sign a stadium deal, and whatever. They know the issues that exist, but we're all kind of lucky that um, things are, you know, things are, we're all hoping we're a quarterback away and we hope we found him from a successful season. And we'll be learning while they'll be learning um, the organization, the good people, the what they need to have, what they're, what they're lacking. Those decisions they'll have time to make. I don't believe they bought this predisposed to a particular decision. They're too good businessmen to do it without having fully investigated the facts. Right, but I would assume, and maybe incorrectly, that because Josh Harris owns sports teams, um, you know, he has a lot of infrastructure in running sports teams. He's got a lot of people that have worked for that were that are working for him now that have worked for him. He he has, you know, uh, he he's able he's got his own headhunting firm when it comes to, you know, executive sports people that are out there and potentially available that he knows and knows well. So on the business side specifically, I would think that he's got an idea of what he wants that organization to look like. Do you think I'm right or wrong? I think I think that would overstate. I think they will have to uh, understand. I don't know if they've ever gotten a chance to talk to the head of ticket sales. I, I mean, they've gotten financials from the probably from the you know a quarter before anything changed. Um, I think they know that there are best practices in the leagues that aren't that aren't done here with the regard to the fan experience. Um, but but the sort of um, the nitty gritty that you would need to know for decision making, I would tend to doubt they have. Do I think they know today? how they're going to change the brand, if they're going to change the brand. I don't think they have any consensus view on that yet. Um, I don't think they have a consensus about um, 
management, who's going to, sure, they'll bring some people into so they can go through the learning process well, but if anyone's expecting they're, you know, they're bringing in a new GM, a, a brand, you know, or removing people the first week, I would be surprised. Yeah, and I wouldn't, uh, it's not something I'm advocating at, at all. I'm, I'm just, they, they know what they're, they know what they're looking for, and maybe they'll find it in the group that's there. I mean, you know, why, why, if you've got good people that are doing their job and the thing's going well, then those good people hopefully will, will stay. Um, you just brought well, up... Or, Kevin, what if, they're, what if they're expecting now that they're likely are going to go to A, B, and C, but, you know, we finish 11 and 6 this year, um, you know, right. we don't... It, it's now May. In, in every fan's mind, including mine, we're a lock for eleven and six, so we've got time to be disabused <laughs> of that. Okay, <laughs> um, <laughs> we've got time to be disabused of that. But if it happened, you're certainly not going to say, "Well, we were eleven and six, but we should have gone thirteen and four. No. So we have a hall pass for a while, and let's see what happens. Um, but that doesn't mean they don't have. Obviously, they know good people in the league. They've been studying good people in the league. I suspect they have lists. But I don't think that that means tomorrow they come in right. in June and June and upend anything. Um, they, they've got immediate, you know, some immediate issues. They've got, you know, cable TV questions and they've got, you know, stuff that is out there right now. Uh, but beyond that and some on the fan experience, um, you know, they can make some changes for problems. Depends on training camp. What do you want to do about um, you know, charging for this or that, but they can't, the fundamentals can't be done between now and kickoff. Uh, Howard, they're going to have the longest grace period, honeymoon period, any new owner of, of, of a sports team in recent memory will have um, because they're not Dan. Um, and so I, I, I think that that's, I'm, I, I'm speaking for myself, but I feel like I'm speaking for a lot of the people that have, you know, that I've connected with over the years. This is a dream come true, um, and everybody's going to give them plenty of time. The hall pass, as you described. You did, um, you did mention the name, and you said you don't think there's a consensus on the name at this point. My first question before we get to that conclusion, there's no con- consensus, is this how Josh Harris will manage slash lead? Will it be cons- more consensus with his, uh, you know, with his management team, with his, um, with his, uh, with his ownership group, um, or will he manage more uh, with, you know, input? But ultimately, hey, this is my gut. This is how I'm going to make the call. This is what we're going to do. I suspect decisions will be fact based and smart. Um, and if they're fact-based and smart, you're going to get consensus. It's not going to be like somebody's going to say, I've always wanted to lead a team named the Admirals. It's my favorite. It was my mother's favorite name. We're going to change to the Admirals. There's going to be a compelling business fan reason for everything they do. If they can make their case, they're making it to people who are compelling people as well. That doesn't mean they're going to agree on all, but they've got, they're going to, um, you know, they, they know what they're doing. They didn't change the New Jersey Devils. They didn't change the 76ers. Um, if it's the parts that aren't broke, but the parts that were broke, their performance, 
they had to go to the bottom to come out the top. That's the way you do it in, in basketball. So they did it. They do it, you know, they do it fact-based. They do it data-driven. Um, they do it, uh, you know, results-driven. Um, where results means winning, which is usually the biggest thing for fans, but also making sure, um, you know, that your fans also believe in, in your efforts. So on the name, when you said there, you don't think there's a consensus on the name. I have never, I have never talked to a soul about the name. Okay. What's your, what's your gut? Do you think it will be in consideration? I have no idea what. If I were the founder of Apollo and Danaher and Venture House and have always done um, fact-based, data-driven decision-making, I haven't seen close to the fact-based, data-driven to understand that. I don't know what the league's position is. I don't know what, you know, what the – it's not going to – it's not about that. It's just not. It's about, it's about good, sound business fan decisions. Right. Um, what would you like him to do on that front? Well, I would like him to win a Super Bowl, and I can call him anything you want. Call him late for dinner. No, come on. Just get seriously. me the winner. No, seriously. Um, that's what you can, Kevin, that's what we're getting out of me. I don't. I really don't care. This, <laughs> All right. This, I won't push this, anymore. This I won't me. push anymore. Fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, uh, what else haven't I asked you? Uh, you know, I think, I think we've got – uh, covered a lot on reasonably excited, reasonably excited about this group generally. Um, I, you know, I was even happier when I saw it, but then when you read the misinformation, the Colombian money, um, you know, and I'm like, wait a minute, isn't, I was now a hundred born in New York. Yes. Um, you know, so you start reading the misinformation. I just hope, I just hope that people look three years down the line when they say that was the best day Washington's had since our last Super Bowl, um, you know, because it 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 broke over a long time. Uh, it's been Ron Rivera's tried to fix the culture. I think we've had, uh, you know, a far better culture and and some of the problems. But you can't turn around the sinking Titanic in a day, no matter how talented you are. But what you can do is. Uh, never close your eyes, begin to address the problems and get it done. And I would hope our ship would be righted sooner than we have a right to expect, but, but, but it'll take a while. The Hotchkiss Cool, uh, for those of you that are wondering, 70 grand a year. Um, and actually all in probably a lot more than that. Those of us that know a little bit about the private school system, that's just an entrance fee. Uh, all right. Um, great job as usual. Uh, really appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll be talking soon. Thanks so much, Kevin. All the best. Howard Gutman, everybody. Uh, we are done for the day. I'll be back tomorrow with Tommy. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.